Folks, we need to take a stand, don't we? And the world needs to know where we stand. We're living in a hostile world, I know that. And the temptation is to blend in and to maybe laugh along with their raunchy humor and get in on their gossip. And and we're, we're intimidated by them. And we really shouldn't be. The world ought to know that we are different. And we should not be undercover Christians. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the epistle to the Ephesians and the 6th chapter. Ephesians chapter 6. This message is for Christians, for God's people, and it's an encouragement to stand. I believe we're living in the last days, the end times, the last days of the end times. And it's going to be hard to stand in these last days. In fact, Christ said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on earth? That's kind of sobering, isn't it? And so we need some, some iron in our blood and some grit in our, our backbone. And we need to know how to stand in these last days. Well, Ephesians 6 describes it, and we're going to start in verse number 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high Places Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Well, if there's one thing that God gets across in this passage, it's taking a stand. And we're going to be talking about that, standing for Christ, standing for Christ. But let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the privilege of living for him in these last days. And we ask you to give us now that grace, that help, that divine intervention in our lives that we so desperately need in order to stand for our Lord when it's hard to do. Please encourage us now as God's people as we take these next few moments and talk about this very subject. We pray and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a Christian man. He was a logger by trade, and work was tough to find. And uh, finally, he got this this job in a a logging camp, but it was known as an extremely hard camp. The, The language was horrible. The humor was raunchy. Everything about it was just foul and dirty. And he knew he shouldn't work at that camp, and he asked his friend about it, and his friend said, well, how are you going to stand for the Lord in a place like that? He said, I don't know, but I really need the job. And so he did take the job, and he worked at it for some time. Met up with his friend several months later, and and he said, Well, are they giving you a hard time knowing you're a Christian? He said, Oh, no, they're not giving me a hard time at all. They don't know I'm a Christian yet. Well, we might hear that and say, Well, he fixed the problem. Problem solved. But that's not the way we as God's people live, as Christian people, right? The world ought to know that we are different. And we should not be undercover Christians, You know, I uh, worked for an electrical company back in, I think it was around 78 or 79, and there was a fellow I worked with, 
and, and, you know, never really asked him about his faith or anything like that because he was just like I was. Well, I got saved in 81, and about a year or two later, I went back to witness to him, and as I was talking to him, he said, oh, no, I know all that. He said, I- I'm a Christian too. I've been a Christian since I was a teenager. And I said, and I'll just call him Bill. I said, Bill, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> he said, well, you never asked. Well, folks, that's not the way it works. You know, we're not to be undercover Christians because the world is not going to ask us about our faith. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.11, there's none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And here's the point. If they're going to find Christ, we have to seek after them. God seeks after them through us. We're his mouth, we're his hands, we're his feet. Uh, we're, we're the representation of Jesus Christ upon this earth at this time. And there's none that seeketh after God. Now God seeks them, but he seeks them through God's people. And so let's not be undercover Christians. How many of you ladies here would remember Clairol? I don't know if they still sell it or whatever, but remember Clairol? Only her hairdresser knows for sure, right? You remember that? Well, let's not be Clairol Christians. We're only God knows for sure whether we are or aren't. The world needs to know that. The world needs to hear from us. We can't, we can't straddle the fence. My, my pastor would always say, if you straddle the fence, you're going to rip your britches. And that's true, isn't it? Kind of like the Civil War guy who didn't want to take sides with either side. And so he put on a blue jacket and gray pants, and both sides shot him. Folks, we need to take a stand, don't we? And the world needs to know where we stand. We're living in a hostile world, I know that. And the temptation is to blend in and, and to maybe laugh along with their raunchy humor and get in on their gossip. And, and, and we're, we're intimidated by them. And we really shouldn't be. This passage here is talking about taking a stand. And notice again in chapter 6 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren. In other words, on the heels of everything else I've said, Finally, my brethren. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Talks about putting on this armor, making a statement in verse 12 that we're not wrestling against really flesh and blood. In other words, our battle is not with people. There's someone behind the people. There's someone higher than the people. And it mentions these principalities, these powers, these rulers of the darkness of this world, this spiritual wickedness in high places And then verse 13 gives us a final admonition with words like stand and withstand. And so we're going to be talking about standing for Christ. But first of all, let's talk about what I call the awful adversary. In verse number 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been saved any length of time, you know what this is talking about. It's talking about spiritual warfare. It's talking about demons and devils and and Satan and, and his force. And it's reminding us our battle really isn't against people. And we need to remember this. Sometimes we can get uh, sick and tired of, of, uh, of people and, and their behavior and, and weary of them. The Bible talks about that. The, the uh, resistance of, of sinners. But there's one behind them. And it's described in verse number 12. This awful adversary is Satan himself in his army. And what, what the devil will try and get us to do as God's people is to compel us 
to compromise. Well, just kowtow a little bit. Just dip the banner a little bit. Just back up a little bit. Just lower your standards. And, and don't really let everybody know where you stand. And we can become cowards. In John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man who gets saved by Jesus Christ. And he's just exuberant. He's, he's joyful. He can see now. But he really never saw the guy who healed him. He had been blind before. And so he's just, he's witnessing for him. And the, the Sanhedrin's bringing him in. And they're grilling him and giving him a hard time. And, and saying, are you sure you're blind? Yeah, I was blind. They bring his parents in. And they say, is this your son? Yep, that's our son. And he was born blind? Yep, yep, he was born blind. Well, how does he now see? The Bible says they didn't want to say. They didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. And so they're protective of their reputation. And the guy who's healed now just kind of just blurts it out. I believe he's the son of God and so on. And they give him the boot. He's the man in the Bible who lost his religion and went to heaven. And it was the best thing that could have happened to him. He was willing to take a stand. His parents weren't. We could talk about others. Nicodemus would have been on that Sanhedrin as well. And and he was one who was compelled to compromise. And he hid his faith. He hid his faith. The devil will compel us to do that. Our awful adversary will drive us into a corner and try and gag us and silence us and, and, and keep us from really giving the truth out. He'll even tell preachers this. Don't get on sin. Don't, don't tell it the way it is. Uh, don't be so legalistic. Don't be uh, so divisive. That is unloving. And the truth of the matter is, it's not unloving to give people the truth. In fact, we read in Ephesians 4.15, it says, but speaking the truth in love. That's, that's what all of us are called to do at salvation. We are to speak the truth in love. And the real issue is not what the world's going to think of it. The real issue is what is God going to think if we don't? What is our Creator, our Father, going to think if we compromise? In John chapter 15 and verse number 18, Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Let's never forget that. This, friend has never, this world has never been a friend of God. And when Christ walked this earth, they hated him. They crucified him. And he told us as God's people, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so it's okay to be different. It's all right to be different. Now, the very word persecution actually has a root word which means to divide or separate. We talk about persecution sometimes, and really the very root of the word means there's going to be a division. There's going to be a separation. We read in 1 Peter 2, 9, ye, that is God's people, are a chosen generation. Notice this, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible tells us we're a chosen generation, a peculiar people, and God hath called us out of that darkness to be lights in this world, to shine for Him. We have a different course than the world now. We have a different destination than the world now. We have a different uh, purpose than the world has now. We have a different power than the world operates by. And we live by faith. We walk by faith. The world doesn't really understand any of this stuff. They don't understand us. We understand them. We've been on that side of the fence, right? We've been on both sides of the fence now. And the Bible talks about this. We get them. (laughs) They don't get us. And they never will unless they have the, the Lord living inside of them. They don't understand us. Here's what Christ said in Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt have lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing. Note those words. Good for nothing. And then he goes on, verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Now, what's the salt business? What does salt do? Well, today it it flavors up our food. In those days, it preserved food. They didn't have refrigeration and ice and things like that. And so they would salt everything. They would salt their their meats down there uh, to store it and keep it from becoming rancid. And he said, you're like that. You are to uh, preserve uh, godliness and holiness. And if you have lost that savor, that salt, it's good for nothing. And so here we are, salt. Salt preserves. Salt also can be an irritant. If you get it in an open cut, it can irritate. And by the way, he compares us to light. Light can be an irritant if you're coming out of a dark place, if you're living in a dark place. My mother would wake us up every morning. We had four boys in our room, and she'd flip that light on. She'd say, rise and shine. We'd go, ugh. We hated that light. And when you shine light into a dark world, Christ said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You don't find uh, brilliantly illuminated bar rooms and and houses of prostitution and and other places of vice. They're always dim and they're dark, and there's a reason for that. And even in the human heart, men love darkness rather than evil. Why? Because their deeds are are evil, and if we're going to be light, it's going to irritate people in this darkened world. It's going to expose sin. I'm, I'm talking about being light. Now, I'm not talking about being odd. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about uh, being obnoxious or antagonistic. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14 that if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Sometimes we ask for trouble. Sometimes we're in people's faces. Sometimes we're, we're angry with our spirituality. And it's not talking about that. If you suffer as a Christian, as a real Christian, however, don't be ashamed. But glorify God for that. You know, if you're spiritually different than the world, they're going to watch you like a hawk. They did Jesus Christ. They're always dog-tracking him around the Judean hills, trying to catch him in something popping up out of corn and going, aha, you didn't wash your hands before you ate it, you know, and things like that. Always watching him, trying to find some flaw in order to condemn him. And if you're a Christian, it's the same way. Just know they're watching you. They're watching you. We have this awful adversary who's continually dog-tracking us, trying to cause us to stumble. But in 1 John 3, 8, it says the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil's not a bygone conclusion. He's not a thing of the past. And and really, persecution is not some Bible time thing. In fact, there's persecution going on in this world today. Do you know that last year, over 150,000 Christians were martyred for the faith? We think, oh, that's dark age stuff. No, that's going on yet today. We have this awful adversary who by the tens of thousands is murdering. Others are suffering in a number of countries because they're taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, in verse number 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's talking about our awful adversary who is attacking us on every front. God help us to take a stand. 
We see the awful adversary, but secondly, we see this awesome armor. In verse number 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So it's talking about this standing for the Lord and having this awesome armor in order to do that. And it's talking about some convictions that we as God's people need to establish. It's going to require conviction. Uh, Without it, we're going to be swayed. There's a lot of uh, persuasive arguments out there uh, amongst the, the spiritually liberal, the, the ungodly, the humanistic. And if you, don't, if you don't know the truth and you don't stand by the truth, you're going to fall for it. I had uh, the opportunity to visit with, with Dr. David Gibbs last time he was here. He's an attorney, Christian lawyer, and, and for many years he's defended churches like this in courts of, uh, of law. And, and we were talking about those who are young people and they want to uh, go into law and, and defend the faith. And he said, I wouldn't encourage any young person to be an attorney without first going to a, a year or two of Bible college. I, I looked at him like, really? He said, you have got to know that book, and you've got to, to stand by that book and really have strong convictions about that book. He said, you know what you learn as a, a lawyer? He said, is to take uh, this situation, this scenario, and argue it from both directions and win both ways. He said, imagine what you could do with the Word of God. It, with all that persuasiveness. So you could just kind of take it any direction. And he said, I've seen a lot of young people go to uh, law school and get messed up because they're jerked around. They, well, boy, I don't know what's right anymore. He said, it's so important that we have some deep-rooted convictions and we know what we believe. Now, we find out that it mentions in verse number 11 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I wish I had time to talk about that armor. It follows this, but basically it's, it's telling us to get armed because we are going to, as Christian people, be continually exposing ourselves to the humiliation and, and the ridicule of those who really believe the Bible. It's going to be a lonely world for you. It, it's going to be a lonely thing. It's going to be a brave thing, but you're going to be ostracized and you're going to be criticized and you're going to have to ask yourself, is this really worth it? Somebody said years ago, if you haven't got a cause worth dying for, you're not fit to live. That's pretty true. Do you really have a cause worth dying for? Because there are countless things down through the centuries that people have lived and they've died for them. Causes they've died for. Some are sad. Some are pathetic, pitiful. But folks, I would die for the truth. Wouldn't you? For the truth. And it talks about uh, having your loins, in verse 14, gird with truth. I wish I had time to get into that. But don't ever compromise the truth. We have the truth. Ecumenicism says, put aside that truth. Put aside any denominational differences, as they might call them. And folks, truth is, we can't. There are denominations out there that teach you work your way to heaven. Well, that's sending people to hell. Because the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. So if some preacher or some church teaches you work your way to heaven, I can't yoke arms with them and say, that's okay. We'll just kind of find some middle ground here. There isn't any. Somebody comes along and says that water washes sin away. That's not true. 
Baptism does not make you a child of God, does not wash original sin away. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can wash sin away. I can't compromise on that. I can't compromise on the virgin birth. I can't compromise on the sinless life of Christ. But you've got preachers and you have churches that are, that are dipping the banner. And folks, if Christ was not virgin born, we don't have a Savior. We don't have a sinless Savior. If he didn't physically die for our sins, some churches say, it doesn't matter. He just swooned. He revived in the grave. No, if he didn't physically die for our sins, he cannot be our Savior. If he did not rise bodily from the grave, and some would say, well, spiritually he rose. It really doesn't matter. It matters a bunch. If he did not physically, bodily rise from the grave, we don't have a Savior. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God today. He's coming back in all His glory. And it's time to take our stand for Him and to uphold our New Testament Christian heritage and what this Bible teaches. Are we going to stand for Christ in these last days? There comes a time to stand because there's no room in God's work for cowardly Christians. We need godly convictions. Convictions that rebuke liberal theology and and humanism and killing of the unborn and the perversion of marriage and a host of other things we could talk about. God help us. He gives us this awesome armor and it's, it's time for us as God's people to put it on and put it to use. And really get our convictions down, get our priorities down. You know, the, the reason some of God's precious people are lacking joy, they're lacking peace, is they're kind of in this, this middle-of-the-road thing. This halfway thing, this, this riding the fence thing. Kind of one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And maybe it's time for us to reboot our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, the Bible says. And it goes on and it says, Let not that man or woman think that they should receive anything of him. Maybe we need to reboot our relationship and rekindle our, our, our relationship with the Lord and know that joy and that peace that comes as a result. We read in 1 Peter 1.8, Of Christ, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do we have joy unspeakable it's 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 beyond description you you can't put it into words we can we read in philippians 4 and verse number 7 and the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus do we have that peace of god that passes understanding it's beyond words once again we cannot describe it there is a joy there is a peace that is available to god's people But it requires us taking up our cross and following Christ and taking that stand. And in Mark 8, verse 34, Christ said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's no crown without that cross, folks. It follows this life, that crown, but let's let's carry that cross through this life. There's no blessing without burdens. You say, I don't like those burdens. I know, but there are blessings that come with them. It's time to fall in love with the Lord again. It's time to fall in love with the New Testament church. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of what I'm talking about next week. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you still love the local New Testament church? Do you still love the Lord? Are you faithful to both? You know, there's a lot of cheap substitutes out there, folks, aren't there? There's so many other things that we can kowtow with, but, but God help us. We have this awesome armor. Now, notice in verse number 11, 
It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you say, well, why? For our sake? Well, yeah, we benefit. But mainly for others' sake. Others being the saved. When we stand, it emboldens God's people. It encourages. We, we provoke one another to good works. And so for the, sa- the sake of the saved, let's stand. For the sake of the lost, let's stand. Jesus didn't take his stand for his sake. He didn't need to. He didn't even take it for the Father's sake. Uh, he didn't need that as well. But we have this world, and it needs to see Christians that take a stand for Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. And I have to say this. Uh, there are antagonistic Christians out there who pick their, their, their battles all over the place. Let me just say, pick your battle wisely. Pick your battles wisely. This world is going to try and draw you into a fight. It did Jesus Christ all the time. You read through the Gospels and you notice that. Here's, here's the Pharisees and they're bringing to Christ their little pet issues. Well, what about this? What about that? And they were traps. And, and Christ didn't bite. He didn't fall for it. He, he knew better than that. And you even have people, sincere questions, like the woman at the well. She says, well, who's right? You know, you Jews or us Samaritans, where should we worship? And, and, and tried to get Christ on a rabbit trail and he didn't go there. He got to the sin issue, her sin issue, and salvation. You know, they took the woman in adultery and, and uh, were asking him, well, and he reframes the question, doesn't he? He just has this, this wonderful way of doing that. Even Pilate asked him some things and, and, and Christ didn't bite. He just was silent. He wasn't going to get sidetracked. You find old Peter there at the arrest of Christ taking that sword and he's, he's whacking off ears and making a scene and, and uh, Christ said, this isn't the time. <laughs> It's really typical of some of us. But we can, we can get into all the issues and really miss the main thing. And we can, be, we can be picking fights, really. Let me put it this way. Let's not forfeit the future hearing that the unsaved might give us if we're not obnoxious. I'm talking about the plan of salvation because sometimes uh, we, we blow the opportunity by dealing with some, something, some minor thing instead of the major thing. And, and heavy justice people especially need to watch this. I've seen Christians so inappropriate get into all kinds of things. And really they turn off the unsaved before they even get a chance to tell them about Christ. You know what Christ said in Luke 19.10? He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he focused on. That was the major thing. Don't be a Christian who majors on the minors. And don't be a Christian who casts your pearls before swine and and, and gets into things they don't get. Let's not be obnoxious. Let's be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and point this world to the cross, to Christ. And love the lost where they're at. I know that they get on your nerves, but don't be uh, so uh, disgusted and and indignant with them that, that you don't get the opportunity to witness to them. So I'm talking about taking a stand, but remembering at the same time the pit that you were delivered from before salvation and the blindness that we were guilty of before we got saved. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked with a lot of different issues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What's the main thing? 
The main thing is Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of mankind. The main thing is it's not automatic that you go to heaven now that he has. The main thing is that, that the wages of sin is hell or death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The main thing is helping the unsaved to recognize the seriousness of sin and the gloriousness of salvation. If you're here today and you're trusting in your baptism to get you to heaven or you're trusting in your good works to get you to heaven or your church membership to get you to heaven, none of those things will save you. And the greatest friend you have, friend, is somebody who will come along and say, if you could work your way to heaven, why did Jesus Christ suffer and bleed and die for you? I mean, it just, it makes sense. He did so because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot lift ourselves into heaven by our own bootstraps. You go to heaven by the grace of God, by receiving what Christ did on Calvary's cross as the payment for your sins and asking him to save you, calling upon him in repentance and faith. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I stand by the old-time gospel. It's the gospel that got me saved nearly 37 years ago, and I thank God for it. And the world needs to hear it. And so it's going to require believers who have a ready answer, and they're ready with the message, and they're shod in this awesome armor. So we see this awful adversary. We see this, this awesome armor. And finally, we see the Almighty's admonition backing up to verse number 10. Here it is. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice, be strong in yourself. No, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, the, word, the world might not like you taking that stand, but the world needs to see you take that stand. You know, I've seen in the past some young man or young lady, and they, they grow up in a religious home. They'd been baptized as a baby and gone to church, but they hear the truth of the gospel, and they recognize they're lost. They need to be saved. And they call upon the Lord in repentance and faith. And they're born again. And there's joy. And there's excitement. And they go home and they tell their mom and dad. And guess what? Mom and dad aren't as excited. <laughs> you say, well, why not? Well, mom or dad will say, what do you mean become a Christian? We didn't raise you in a heathen home here, you know. And, and, and suddenly they're insulted by this. What do you mean you became a Christian? What is this born-again nonsense? And they get upset. You know, you would think that the young man got into drugs, but that's not the case. He got into God. And you'd think the young lady came home and said, well, I'm pregnant. She didn't. She said, I'm saved. I love the Lord. But mom and dad get upset by this. You go, why is that? A number of years ago, uh, Dr. Al Lacey was uh, uh, pastoring in Denver, Colorado, and he said there was, there, there was a set of parents, they came to him desperate. Their, their teenage daughter was into drugs. She had lost like a ton of weight, skin and bones. She's into prostitution and, and just all kinds of awful things. And, and they said, you've got to help us. Please do something for her. He said, well, I'll, I'll go talk to her. And, and so he started having Bible study with her. And, and long story short, she was born, born again and just gloriously saved and on fire for God and witnessing for Christ and, and, and trying to reach her folks. And the parents, same parents came back to, 
to uh, LAC, and they said, what have you done to our daughter? And he said, isn't it wonderful? They said, no. He said, what do you mean? Well, she's just telling us about the Bible all the time, witnessing and this and that, and she's going to church and carrying her Bible and telling her friends. And, 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 and Brother Lacey said, would you like her the old way? And you know what they said? Yes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Here's this zeal for God that is, is threatening to the worldly, self-centered lifestyle of mom and dad. It's that, it's that salt in the, the cut. It's that light in the eyes. How does the world react when somebody takes a stand for Christ? If we had more time, I had planned on going back to the Old Testament talking about this. We really don't. But I will say there's sarcasm. There's anger. There is intimidation. There's definitely discouragement. There's negativism. There's all kinds of ways that the world will react to somebody who's standing for Christ. Now, in verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In other words, keep your eyes on the Lord, not the enemy. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Maybe as of late you've been retreating or kind of going undercover. Maybe been like Nicodemus or uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And it's time to get bold. Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Sanhedrin, we believe. And, and he was a, um, a man of renown and, and wealth and also spiritual power as a member of the Sanhedrin. But he was an undercover believer. He finally came out of hiding after the death of Christ on the cross. We don't know what caused it. Was it the earthquake? Was it the uh, pronouncement by the soldier? Certainly this man was the son of God. We don't know what it was. But whatever it was, he came out of hiding. He said, enough cowering. He said, it's ungodly. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus Christ. By the way, it's also unbecoming. Cowardice when it comes to the cause of Christ is unbecoming of a Christian. Jesus Christ came to this earth to take a stand. And he took one. So here's Joseph of Arimathea. He's taken the body of Christ from, from Pilate. He's embalming it or at least preparing it with the spices there. And, and he's putting it in his tomb. Now, I've always wondered where were the apostles when that time came. I mean, they're the ones who walked with Christ for three years. Joseph didn't. They had walked with Christ for all these years. And by the way, where were the apostles on the, on the morning of the resurrection? We find there were women there but not the apostles. In fact, in John 20 and in verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, that's where they were, cowering, afraid to take a stand for Christ. You know what the Bible says back in the Proverbs? In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It'll be okay. Just trust God with whatever the situation is. But it tells us here, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Here's Peter. Earlier on, he had, he had sworn this, uh, this perpetual loyalty in his self-confidence. He had said, others will abandon you, Lord, not me. But he's not there when the time came. In John 20, and in verse, well, we won't turn there, but turn to Philippians chapter, just a few pages forward, Philippians chapter 1. Notice this in verse number 27. 
It says, only let your conversation be as becometh. Notice the word becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, Paul says, I may hear of your affairs. Notice this. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. We find here that it was not an optional thing for a Christian. It's not becoming of a Christian. We read in Second Timothy 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I've highlighted all. There's no exceptions to this. All that will, that means will to, that determine to, that decide to live godly in Christ Jesus. Notice the other highlighted word is shall. Shall suffer persecution. It's not an optional thing. There's really only one way to escape it, and that's by, by compromising, by being that undercover Christian, by hobnobbing with the world. You know, opposition to a Christian is really the, it, it reveals the thermometer of our courage for Christ and our, our love for Christ. It's really the barometer that shows whether we mean business or not. Are we going to be people pleasers? Are we going to be God pleasers? Because the, the history of Christianity is a trail of blood. You study it out for yourself. It's a trail of blood. And now we need some 21st century Christians with some backbone. We read in Psalm 94, 16, God says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Who? Who? I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Evil triumphs. It flourishes when good men do nothing. You know, you find that those who are evil (laughs) aren't afraid to be bold. We need some of those who are righteous and and, and living for Christ to be bold as well. The apostles were bold. In Acts 5 and verse 29, when told to, to stop preaching, then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. May I say, opposition really is what makes us stronger. I think it was the, the historian Will Durant who made this observation about the Roman Empire. Of course, we all know it fell and it fell eventually. But he said Rome remained great as long as it had enemies to stir it to uh, unity and and stir it to vision and and stir it to fight. But when they conquered the world, they flourished for a moment, but then they began to decay and they rotted and they dropped out. And so we need that opposition, folks. God knows that. Now, Our prayer ought to be, Lord, help me to die this world. Help me not to imitate it. Help me certainly not to be intimidated by it. Help me not to worry about being politically correct. Help me to to stand tall and and in nothing terrified by our adversaries. We sing that song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. He must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. God help us to stand up for him. Somebody so well said, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. We read this over in Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge 
and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. That's God talking. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Again, Christ said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on this earth? It's a sobering thought, but it's really a challenge to us, especially in these last days. One that we ought to take up, and that is to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. May we, by his grace, do just that. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.